Well, I'm excited to be back this week, and uh, last week, this week has just been a week full of uh, crazy stories and incredible moments, and I'm going to share a few of them during the talk, but last week I had the opportunity to preach down at Living Hope at Sumner Middle School, which we helped apprentice the pastor for that church, and it was cool to see the uh, similarities. I mean, there's a lot of similarities to open life, but just to see the growth they've experienced and the way they're reaching Sumner, the same that we're reaching Bonnie Lake is so cool and just gets me pumped about the potential of continuing to reproduce ourselves. And uh, um, yeah, it, it was a sweet experience. So uh, Jaden preached up a storm last week. So thanks, Jaden. You know, we have a great team to be able to multiply ourselves out like that during the course of a weekend in the same community. So very grateful for that. But we're going to continue in Luke, which is, uh, I'm going to be saying that for like a couple years, probably, so every Sunday. We're going to continue in Luke today. Uh, Luke 2, 41 is where we're at. Luke 2, 41. Every year, his parents, speaking of, of Jesus, right? Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for one day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, every parent just go, right, if you've ever had that moment. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Or no, wait, I wrote that. He said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Okay, there we go. That's the actual translation. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. The next time we're going to see Jesus, he's going to be like 30 years old. So 12-year-old Jesus is who we're talking about today. 12-year-old Jesus, surrounded by silent years on every side. You know, the Olympics just passed, and we're in the middle of March Madness right now. These are sports, for those of you who don't watch any of those. Uh, And then uh, we're you know, just finished, like the Super Bowl, still a big deal, probably will be for a few years. Hopefully, you know, we can brag about the repeat next year, so we're only going to brag about the Super Bowl for one year, right? And then we'll be talking about repeat. Uh, 
But uh, you look at uh, the different stories that are around these seasons. I love how when there, there's any major athletic season like this and how they take the, the, the teams or the Olympians and they do stories from like when they were children and now you have like the commercials, right? The Hallmark type like Visa commercial. And they show the mom just pouring into the child, right? We only made it here because of our mama. And we're all there on the couch. Well, maybe not some of us. You know, I hide that I'm crying better than my wife. But anyway, so we sit there, you know, and we're, we're having those Hallmark moments with these commercials. But they go back to show what they had to overcome in their youth, right? What did these people have to overcome in order to be the athlete they are today? Well, we look through that lens immediately when, I, when we start reading a story like this. We go, man, they're telling the stories about, you know, the childhood of Jesus and, and His 12-year-old moment because it's challenging to us, but it also gives us hope. We can relate to it in some way, shape, or form. We can see in this 12-year-old moment in Jesus' life a bit of the challenge that His parents had to go through. And, and hope comes to the surface as, as the parents get to experience amazement and astonishment along with everybody else surrounding the scenario. And we also see some lessons that uh, we could often just speed read past. Because I think, and that's what I love about walking through this book, is it makes us dwell on a section and go, okay, what, God, are you trying to teach us here? Because honestly, this is one of those moments where you're like, yeah, 12-year-old baby Jesus. You know, little, uh, this is adolescent Jesus. Let's just, he was 12, okay, he stayed, his parents lost him. Okay, moving on, next story. And we kind of read through the beginning of Luke. We speed read into Luke 4, right? We want to get to the life of Jesus. We want to see what the miracles he's going to do and all those stories. And we just kind of speed read through this. But we miss some incredible things that are taught to us, like, the reality of Jesus sitting amongst the leaders and listening and, and asking questions and answering them. Like, we could learn from that alone just how to really respond to reading the Bible, that we should just really dwell in it and listen to it and question it and process it. But we can quickly see more depth than that even if we begin to Maybe fill in the blanks. So I've got four real things that surface to me that I want to share with you today that I think God really wants us to grasp. But the first is the main reason this passage exists in the first place, according to most of the commentaries out there that tear this thing down contextually. But the reality is you're never too young to understand. That's not really the, the point of this, but understanding is. See, Jesus understood who he was. He was in his father's house. And he was telling this to his earthly father, right? And he's like, wait, our house is like the other way, Nazareth. But, and, and then, you know, that reminder, no, no, my father's house. Oh, the big F father, right? Like capital F. I better not, that could sound bad. I should probably not go down that road. Okay, it's not in my notes, so I won't. Um, but Luke is writing to help the person who's, again, funding this writing of Luke, trying to help 
present a clear, intangible proof that this is the Son of God, that Jesus is who He said He was. Theophilus funds this book. He's writing it in a way that all you and me can understand, and he, he's, he's trying to show here that at 12 years old, Jesus has a moment and confesses that He's the Son of God at 12. Side note, that means I can go on a tangent legally because my wife's sitting here today. And so if Dana's sitting here, I have to, you know, I can't just go on a tangent. I have to make it sound purposeful. But it does say side note in my notes if anybody wants to proof that I pre-planned to tell this story. Uh, Man, we believe in the next generation. And I think you have to, you know, speaking as a church and, and as leaders within it, I just, you have to continually pour into and value and invest into the next generation. And we're seeing the potential of a 12-year-old boy here. You're never too young to discover your destiny and calling. You hear so many people realize, man, I knew I was going to be this when I was little, right? And we kind of pat the head of, of the kids that are like, I'm going to grow up and be a fireman. I'm going to be a policeman. You know, and then, then you have others that are like, you know, I'm going to be an evangelist. And then you have, the, I'm going to be the banker. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be a billionaire. You know, and you're like, that's nice, boy, right? But there's legitimacy to this. You can experience a calling when you're young, and, and what is just a glimpse in your youth can become a reality later in your life, as we're going to see through the life of Jesus. And we believe so much in investing, and, and, and we, we, we resource, and we fund, and we and encourage. We don't just entertain kids back in the, the preschool and nursery and elementary. We're like developing them. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to know their potential in God. We've got incredible teachers that rotate and volunteer their time and, and plan, and we're continually praying for e- even more and, and just going, man, God, give us continual ability to reach the students, the kids kids in this area and in youth beginning to just see what God is doing in and through the students' lives. We celebrate that because the fruit is beautiful and and very meaningful. And this week, uh, the results just brought like all the emotions out in my life. Thursday morning, uh, Jocelyn and Jenna, my oldest two girls, twins, uh, 11-year-olds, and they received an award. A pick, I think, shows up up here. And, uh, uh, and they received these uh, at a Kiwanis meeting. It's 6.45 a.m. in the morning. That was brutal. And some of you were awake at that time, but uh, uh, not me. But anyway, so we're, uh, neither are kids, but we showed up. And uh, so we're at this meeting, and, uh, and, and they're honoring, uh, once a month they honor kids with these leadership awards. And so, uh, the principals of different schools were there honoring uh, those who had who'd been nominated for this award. They read some very thoughtful things. The award itself reads, for displaying a passionate desire for service to others, involvement in school activities, and continued improvement in school performance. And I was sitting there while they were receiving this award and and afterwards just dwelling on it going, how would you not want that fruit 
in your kid's life. It's worth dragging them out of bed every Sunday and getting them in the presence of God and putting the Word of God in them, which bears the fruit of service to others. And, and, and Jesus is our reason. It's not, we're not just connecting with people and serving people and sharing His story with, with them and sharing our resources for no reason. We're doing it so that out there in our mission field, we're making a difference like this. And when you grow up, it looks different in your workplace. You get an award, and I'd be just as emotional celebrating if you share what God is doing in your mission field uh, to honor and, and be honored because you should rise to the top if you're following Jesus. It just happens. He awakens dreams inside of us. And, and, just, and, and so I read the, the inscription you know, or, or the print on that little uh, award that they got, and it sounds very familiar to the things we're pouring out here, like Jeremiah 29.7, which says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you, and pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so you have some 11-year-olds living that out in their school. And they get an award like that. Some would go, well, that's just because, you know, you're, you're the pastor and they're just, they're being pastor kids in school. No, they're just being kids full of a heart to serve out of the root of Scripture and the heart of God. It's pretty cool to see. And here we have Jesus, one year older, a little farther along, right? And he's having a moment of exemplifying that same ability as a young person to make a big impact in the people around him. He, it says, understood. He was the one who understood what they did not understand around him. The profession of being in, in his father's house about his father's business, as I just like to, to phrase it. It's, it's God's business was the point of this account. And the point of Luke communicating this was to help them see, hey, this, he's identified himself. So Theophilus, just so you know, you sent me here to learn. The uh, only thing I could get is testimony from when he is 12 years old. But when he was 12 years old, there was this moment, this watermark moment that everybody went, <gasps> he was proving that he was Jesus, and that he knew the Father. Luke desired this takeaway to be really captured and a piece of proof that he was the Son of God. But if you consider the context, there's some more lessons here. If you allow yourself to go down that rabbit trail in your mind and fill in the blanks of the story, you can discover some things that are they're here, but like Let's just think about it. Let's pause. Let's take time here today. Did Jesus dodge them to stay in Jerusalem? Like, how did this happen? He's like, yeah, yeah, pack up, pack up, cool, let's do this. Right? How did it all work out? It says, it didn't say that he snuck back to Jerusalem. It said that he stayed in the place where they were at. They were probably there for at least three days. And so he stayed, and they packed up, and they just, it was more of a home alone scenario. Right? It was that moment in Scripture. Jesus, is, so he's going to make the most of this opportunity. Did Jesus sleep in the temple 
I mean, when you really start to ask the questions, like, where did he stay? Who did he stay with? Was he crying at night? Or was he comfortable because he knew his father? Like, he's 12, which is a lot older in that day than it is in our day, right? They're a lot, they're almost ready for, like, moving out at that age. But uh, how did Joseph and Mary sleep the first night and the second night? I mean, as a parent or as one who's been lost and you have a parent, (laughs) you just know, like, for the seconds you're lost, the torture. This is crazy stuff. Which brings me to the second thought. When you obey God, your life will be filled with amazing moments. So here's Jesus staying at the temple. He is not shocked that he's where he's at. According to him, he's in his father's house. Why, why should his parents be upset? A favorite word for Luke is amazing. He uses it throughout Luke and the book of Acts. He wrote both books. And so, you know, this word in the midst of this story of Jesus being lost, if you would, or, or remaining back, it's like, oh yeah, he was amazing. Well, you know, Jesus when he taught, amazing. Jesus when he walked on water, amazing. You know, it's like that word that so, if somebody has a word they always use around you, you're like, oh yeah, that's that person's word. Like, oh yeah, it's awesome. You know, well, Luke's word's amazing. But there's something interesting about this word. He normally uses this word in the midst of a supernatural moment. So he'll identify the moment backed by supernatural occurrence as amazing. Makes you dwell on this a little deeper when you consider that word because um, that means him actually understanding the teaching and remaining there in Jerusalem was a supernatural act, if you would. It was amazing. I tried to start. Um, I tried to start processing like what what is something that we can relate to as far as it's amazing, you know, and just like somebody this young sitting in a group of these were the elite teachers of the day, and and and, and they're just like. How is he understanding and answering these questions? I don't get it. Because he's asking questions, they're asking back, and they're amazed by his answers, right? There's two amazings in this passage. How? Well, I started thinking, and then I was like, I know how we are amazed in the world we live in, right? Usually on Facebook, YouTube. Here's where you discover young people and amazing. Watch this. It's funny. He's like, Man, where is the person really singing, right? They're trying to figure it out, and for, there was a controversy for a while. Everybody thought she was faking it, but then she proved it. Now that 10-year-old is 13 years old, has had three top-selling albums. One went platinum. I mean, it's just like that was back, and it's it just unbelievable to me, the talent that's wrapped in like that little small body. I remember just watching that going, huh? You know? Well, that's just a very small illustration of what they were like with Jesus. I was actually, when capturing that video on YouTube, I, I, I did a screen capture because somebody on Friday commented, just amazing, simply just amazing. It's kind of the same reaction the teachers and the people in this room with Jesus were having. 
They're like, how is this wisdom and understanding coming out of a 12-year-old? They could not comprehend it. It was beyond reality for them. Now, Jesus wasn't a young entertainer. Uh, he was amazing in their presence, but, you know, he didn't, didn't uh, behave like a superstar immediately, right? These teachers Jesus was with, they were the leading teachers, of the, the top philosophers, if you will, in religion. And what we see is that his presence, sitting among them, listening, his questions, his answers, amazed the people. But then his parents show up. Number three thing that I discovered was we need to take time to be astonished. And this part of the story is hard to wrap my mind around. When the parents make it back to Jesus, it says that they were anxiously searching. I don't know what that would be like for you three days after losing your son that they know is the Son of God, right? I mean, don't you think maybe they behaved a little different with Jesus? I mean, think about it. If, you're, if, if you miraculously give birth as a virgin, Mary, right? Joseph knows the deal. He wasn't the father. This is like their own little, you know, understanding of what happened there. And, and they're going, you know, this now 12 years later. I know they're kind of far removed. But when they get there, It says they're astonished when I think I would be panicked, upset, emotionally happy to find the child, like just overwhelmed might be a term, Uh, angry, beating. You know, I don't know. It's like you're just kind of like you're mad, you're, you're, you're sad, you're happy. But they're anxiously searching, and the first emotion recorded is, is they're astonished. This is hard for me to wrap my mind around. How many times when Jesus was growing up did the parents, in those silent years we don't see in between birth and 12, how many times did they watch to see if Jesus reacted a different way than their brother? How many times did they see if, if he behaved a little different, right? They, they look for signs like, you know, he spills something and does he react differently when he's, does he not throw up? After feeding as a baby, you know, what, what, does he not burp? I don't know. You know, they're like looking, what's, what's going to be different? This is the Son of God. Did that wear off after 12 years or, you know, are they still kind of… I would think you would treat them more like all the movies we watch or the shows like Heroes or Superman, and you, like hide the baby Jesus, right? It's like, okay, guys, let's, let's kind of keep him away from threat because this is the Son of God. He's going to one day rule all the people, so we need to keep this kind of, we need to protect him. His dad was a carpenter. I could just see him going out, and he grabs a saw, and, you know, he's going to cut a piece of wood. And they're like, no, son of God, right? I I would have. I I just have to confess. I would, like, lock him up and tell him, don't let your superpowers out, you know? (laughs) It would be like, that's the way I would be totally treating Jesus. Don't go to the top notch of that ladder, boy. That's only your dad's going to do that. Yeah, you got a future. And maybe they didn't let him know why, and he was confused as to who he was. No, just like Superman. Okay. Anyway, you know, I love In the Passion of Christ. If you've ever seen that, it's a great time of year to watch that movie. 
But they do that like flashback. Mary has this flashback to when he was a child and he trips and falls. And she picks him up as a child and then seeing him do that while he's carrying the cross and having this flashback moment. And I can see that. He trips and falls and he's bleeding. (gasps) Is God mad at me because I let the Son of God trip and fall? It would have to be in the back of your mind because we're human. What would you do? How would you shelter and protect God from humanity when really He came to not be protected from humanity but to save humanity? I think we could falsely imagine Jesus as constantly superhuman, as, a, as even a little boy, right? And, you know, the, when the family went to swim, Jesus was running around on the water like an Incredibles. You know, he's just like, woohoo, you know. And they're like, yeah, we're swimming, and he's walking on the water. They go fishing, and, and, and they're like casting their line, and he's like, and all the fish jump in their bucket. And they're like, mountain man. You know, and they make their way back to home. Or, uh, you know, what, what is this? You know, this moment, like Jesus, little brother wakes up and, you know, comes in and, and just knows the supernatural abilities of his brother. So he's like, do you want to build a snowman? You know, if, if you have kids, you just got that. But if you don't, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. You'll get it here in a second. We see, we see otherwise in this scene. We see in this scene astonished parents seeing something for the first time, like a shock of electricity to their gut. And that's what Luke is pointing out. We see the first sign of a supernatural evidence that this is the Son of God. That's what's being revealed. That's why this is recorded. This is the first, this is the moment when they look back, when it all began. So fast forward, you know, from birth to we lost the Son of God. So, you know, we have a six-year-old, and her name is Jaden. She's full of life and adventure. And so, uh, some of you have heard this story, but I think it was a couple years ago when we were at the Super Mall shopping for something at all the different little girl stores that are down there, and, uh, you know, like Justice, and there's kind of that corner across from Bed Bath & Beyond at the Super Mall, if you've been there, and uh, in Auburn, and uh, those of you who don't know, uh, Kent, you know, they've said for years is like the number one area in the state of Washington, and some would say in the country uh, for harboring trafficked kids uh, and women specifically, and so trafficking is an issue in the state of Washington. And so you just kind of, when you have little girls, you just, you know, you watch over them, especially when you're at the super mall, like it's like the den of death or something. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. But we're at the super mall shopping, and, and, and you know, we have four kids now. And so when you have four kids, something changed in between three and four. It's more like you don't just kind of glance and know that everybody's with you. You have to take inventory. So we're taking inventory as we're getting ready to check out the store. And we're like, you know, eeny, meeny, miny. Whoa, where'd Mo go, right? And you're just like, hey, Jaden, Jaden, no callback. Not, uh, not out of the norm for her. She's probably in a conversation with a stranger. 
She's not supposed to talk to you that had candy or a puppy. So we're making our way through the store looking for who has the puppy or candy. And they'll have Jaden as well. So we're, we're looking for Jaden. And, and we realize really quickly after sweeping the back of the store, she's not there. And I think I saw the panic in Dana's face first. And then I felt it in my gut. And we made our way to the front of the store. And then we swept the store again real quick. And immediately, we were like to the oldest to watch Preston, uh, told the teller our daughter's missing, and ran out of the store looking. And like, where do you go? Right? Here's this mall that's a circle. And I walked out, and I was like, Jaden! In the hallway. And you kind of feel like that dad, you know? And, and you're kind of like out there going, Jaden! And people start to look at you, and, and you know, it's that moment of, oh, now people know something's wrong or whatever. And you're like, Jaden. So I go to the next store and look inside there. Nothing. That's no next door. It's like, where's there something shiny? It'll go to that one. You know? So I go into the, and I start sweeping the stores, and then I'm in panic. So I run down the hallway, get farther than she could have, and I turn and stop and don't see her anywhere. And then I run back, and, and I'm like, I don't see her. She's gone. And we are freaking out. I can't help but think the parents began to experience that on, on this first night, 25, probably 20, 25 miles away from Jerusalem. They're with family, traveling. You know, all of them go back for the three-day moment, and then they're making their way back home. They all assume Jesus is amongst them. And when they're like, Jesus, 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 <gasps> Jesus! And they're going amongst their relatives and those that are traveling with them. Jesus! And they can't find him, but it's too late. They've got to rest and then make their way back to Jerusalem. Well, long story short, we found Jaden. She was at the information desk. She had been turned in by a kiosk worker that approached her, seeing that she was worried and nervous and looked lost. And when she told the kiosk worker that she's not supposed to talk to strangers, so that worked out well. She knew that, right? The kiosk worker, dude, young dude, looked at her and said, well, I'm not a stranger. And so she went with him, (laughs) which now we're concerned all over again. So uh, luckily, he took her to the information booth, so we got lucky in the trafficking capital of our state. But anyway, so I was just like, my mind immediately was like, you know, I was Liam Neeson. I was going to go open up a can of whoop on somebody. You know, I have certain skills, and these skills will come in handy. You know, so I was just ready to go there, but I didn't have to. That was a panic moment. And so I can envision what the parents felt. But you know, when I found her and when we ran to the information table and she's there with a balloon, kind of sad and worried, but happy because she has a balloon, I was kind of very glad and relieved, very mad, very like, don't ever do that again. I wasn't astonished. (laughs) So I don't get this, right? The parents come in and the reality is their astonishment had to have been because they walked in the door after searching around Jerusalem for a day. They would have gone out for a day, 
came back the next day. It's on the third day now. They're looking for Jesus. And they finally find, and, you know, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen this boy? He's like, he's, he's a boy, a 12-year-old boy. Well, there's a lot of 12-year-old boys around. You know, have you seen Jesus? They're going around, and somebody's like, there is this boy at the synagogue. We've heard that some amazing things are happening over there. And they look at each other. <gasps> Jesus. You know? They make their way in and they hear the questions being answered. I don't know how they paused to have time to be astonished. You know what I'm saying? How did they do that? They would have been Jesus. They're expecting to see him weeping or crying or but they walk in and what they hear had to have been like a lightning bolt to the gut. Because they realized this is the first sign that this really is the Son of God. And they're just like astonished. And Jesus looks up. And he's like, let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it. Oh, anyway, uh, that, that, that's not really what happened. You guys need to see the movie Frozen if you're not laughing. So, uh, you know, because Jesus did care. You know, and, and, and he didn't hold it back anyway. But I just look at this and go, while this works for movies, this whole let it go, let it go, I don't care what they're going to say, Jesus did care. That's not how this, this scene did not play out that he didn't care that his parents were astonished but yet concerned and like, why are you doing this to us? And what happened is very interesting, and we'll conclude with this, but he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Now, he identified, I'm, I, I'm the Son of God, and I'm in my father's house about his, you know, I'm about my father's business right now in his house. But he went and was obedient to Joseph and Mary, who had been anxiously searching for him. And it says, the mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. So once again, Mary, she's all about treasuring things in her heart. Have you noticed that? It's like, you know, she gets pregnant, she treasures that in her heart. There's a prophecy over a treasure, you know. And Jesus is born, and shepherds come in because they saw a star, and an angel spoke to him. What does she do? She treasures those things in her heart. So she's got a big treasure chest. Mary does, right? And, uh, but now... All we have until he's 30 years old is that this young boy understood obedience and went home and obeyed his mom, his earthly mom and dad. He obeyed their desires for his life. He submitted to earthly authority. He demonstrated submission and therefore grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. Which brings me to my final point. Obedience unlocks doors of favor. We're in a world that tries to push the door open for wisdom and favor, and I want it now, right? I just want it right now. That's the way we live. But what if we give God time and we just surrender to the process Jesus' obedience to his parents gave way to his obedience to God 
all the way to the cross to die for you and me so that we could have eternal life by putting our faith in Him because He rose three days later. Conquering death, hell, and the grave. That's the gospel. It's good news. It's our promise. And I look at that and I go, my goodness, he practiced that obedience with his parents from the age of 12. Knowing exactly his destiny and who he was and understanding Scripture, he remained until he was 30 to begin his earthly ministry. This is shockingly incredible. For the last five years, well, almost exactly five years ago, Dana and I sensed a call to start a church here in Bonnie Lake, and we were like, oh my goodness, you know, we were nervous. We spent three weeks praying about it, and we were, we were just, uh, we said we were willing after um, three weeks of prayer, and it took still a little bit of a process for people to say, yeah, we'll support you, or no, we won't support you, and all of a sudden it was uh, voted on by the church that we came out of in Auburn, the Northwest Family Church, they said, yeah, well, okay. They, they were like, man, we're a little nervous about you starting a church that close. Oh, no, well, yeah, you should start a church. There needs to be a church in Bonnie Lake that is reaching people that are far from God. And so they're like, we'll approve it. And they approved it like in, in a week from now, would have been five years ago. And we began listening and trying to figure out what, would, what, what God was calling us to do uniquely as a church here in Bonnie Lake. And, and we, we recognized Jeremiah 29.7, which I read earlier, but that we needed to just be present in the community. We needed to listen. We needed to, to ask questions and find out what the real needs were and be present with those in community that had needs and just begin to serve our city and see what that would do. And sometimes that's a lonely path in church planting world when you're not just trying to do bells and whistles and and, and try to, uh, you know, raise half a million dollars and do massive advertising campaigns and bring a bunch of people in. And, and sometimes you're going, okay, am I doing the right thing here, right? You're out serving. You're doing something that's invisible. But this week, something incredible happened. Uh, it was actually a few weeks ago that I was invited, but I was invited to be the keynote speaker at a summit that was held this Thursday night right across the street at the middle school. And it was for all the government leaders, nonprofit coordinators. It was an award ceremony slash community summit with about 300 people there. And all the student leaders from middle school and high school campuses were there. And, and, and to share the keynote in this environment, superintendent of the Sumner School District and stuff, I, I was nervous actually because I could default to like Jesus. And I'm going, I, you know, I, I can't default to that in this room. So you're like, you're trying to be true to who you are and you're calling to the community. And, and what they wanted in this message called Serve Big was really the testimony of open life and big give. And as well, they wanted the message of our year, which is why not? And so I got up and I shared this talk, and it was cool to see uh, I was forwarded from one of the people in the school district a memo that went out to the different, some different employees that said this from the superintendent. The community summit was an unforgettable event, a big awesome-tastic shout of approval for Mary Lee Hill Anderson, who directs the event, and her team for another stunning community event. Thad Huff, keynote speaker, inspired me deeply. I'll be carrying this quote in my heart for a long time. Sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery, and I promise you something great will come of it. 
Now, I did say that was from the movie and not my own of We Bought a Zoo, right? So I didn't take credit for that. But here's what's interesting. So the, the, the director wrote a note to you, Open Life, Marilee Hill Anderson, that she said, read this to your church. I just want to thank them for allowing you to, to come and, and invest and be present at an event like this. Thad, you did a wonderful job of informing, inspiring, and involving all of us in the audience about the need uh, to be brave and courageous beyond what our minds might conceive as possible. I'm personally grateful for the courage of Open Life members to dream big, care big, and serve big. You've blessed our students at Liberty Ridge and brought big thinking about giving to our community. If we always do what we've always done, some will have, but some will not. Serving big requires thinking big and caring big. And when we let that floodgate open, all the goodness and gifts bestowed on each of us can flow freely to others. So everyone receives a benefit. You and Open Life members are teaching this to all of us locally and globally. Please know that stretching yourselves beyond what you might think was possible has been inspirational beyond those, or beyond those who you have directly served. In Thad, during your keynote presentation on Thursday, you encouraged minds, challenged ways of thinking that limit what's possible, and inspired leaders to pursue goals that will benefit our community, even though it will take more of their time and effort. Your words were true blessing to us. So on behalf of Sumner and Bonnie Lake Area Communities for Families Coalition, I simply send a big thanks. Please share uh, our sincere gratitude with your congregation for their continued support. So way to go, open life and serving big and big gift. Here's the reason this is you. Being present out in the community is absolutely impossible without your support. It's just an idea. But you catch it, and you show up, and you put your hands to the task. I don't know what the next step is you after a talk like, or for you, the next step for you is, but I want you to pull out your connection card today. Obedience has brought about favor, and there's incredible favor right now in our city. Open life has open doors that I can't even share publicly with you. This has been an incredible week. And I, 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 but I want to challenge you. Allow God to begin to stir in you. Man, what does it mean to obey God boldly to you? Maybe that's your next step. And there's on the back of your connection card, we would love to know what God's stirring in you. Maybe you need to take time to be astonished. When's the last time you walked into a room and your child was being disobedient and you paused to take in the moment? <laughs> I know that's tough for me to do. I'm just like, Stop throwing money. That was this week in our house. But it's like, what are you, why are you throwing your piggy bank? I don't get this. This is weird. Instead of like, oh, are you being showered in riches? I don't know what they were pretending. But you're just like, you know, when do we pause and just take time to be astonished? Because maybe there's times where we'll just be blown away. I want you to think about your response today. And as you're thinking about that, we're going to I'm going to pray and just kind of seal the talk moment, but then I'm going to share a testimony with you before we do our giving. So, Lord, I just thank you for the doors you've opened in our city. But all that is is it's just a result of obedience. 
It's a result of moment after moment of being faithful to the doors you've opened and we've walked through them, whether it's buying school supplies for Liberty Ridge or or doing the big give, which is financially way beyond us, and all of a sudden it goes from serving 150 families to feeding over 3,000 families in both Bonnie Lake and Sumner this last year. As you open doors for us to speak into the lives of people in our city and, and, and as people continue to sacrificially give so that we are available to be present in community. I just thank you. But I thank you not just for that. I thank you for for Jesus' life and what's demonstrated for us to have faith and pour into and support young people, be it the youngest child in nursery doing a coloring sheet about something in the gospel, or being elementary, or whether it be a youth that's being told they can do it and they can lead right now in their age. Jesus was 12, and He was full of understanding, and people were shocked. I pray that, God, we could raise up young people that would be faithful to the gospel in a way that would shock our community. And may we celebrate those stories always. In Jesus' name, amen.